Hello all, this is Blonde Haired Girl. So, I want to talk about something, you know, I always do. (laughs) I like talking about ideas. I suppose that my ideas are all crammed into my life. My, um, the actual or events that have happened in my life. So yesterday I had done this, this YouTube about this thing that went down. I'm in a new position and I'm going to be serving as a legitimate therapist to, with children, I'll be working in a school-based therapist Uh, working with children between kindergarten to sixth grade. One-on-one therapy, some group therapy, and family therapist. And I'm really excited about it. um, But these last couple weeks have been very intense. I've been in, in training And yesterday we did the training on on diagnostics. Now, <laughs> like strangely enough, I have been like it's been really like impressed upon me throughout my career that I not diagnose people ever. You know, even though I'm it's it's something that I'm very like interested to a certain extent, especially with certain diagnoses. Um, and so, but never, never, never you to diagnose, you leave that to the professionals, you know, so I'm saying they're going, even asking the question, so am I supposed to diagnose? And, and so, and so yesterday we were studying the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders, which um, is, a, is obvious, it's pretty obvious, it's a, it's a manual of mental health disorders. <laughs> um, and part of that is used for billing. But then there's this other manual that I've never even heard of that I guess they've gotten ready, rid of the access, access um, from the DSM-5. There's no accesses in the DSM-5. I did not know that. See, this is nice to have like a refresher. But there's this other that actually has codes in it. And so when you, when you do your, your case notes, however they word it, progress reports, every time you have, you, you put in these codes and for these diagnoses. So it's some kind of coding book along in conjunction with the DSM-5. So they, they coincide with each other. And so I'm looking through this, you know, and I'm... And throughout my life... I really have had times, it hasn't always been like really, really, really bad, but I I just suffered. 
it just suffered. The only way I know how to describe it, and I, I, I didn't know if I had depression, if I had, you know, I, I was just trying to like make sense of it. I went to a lot of therapy in my life, which honestly did not do hardly any good whatsoever. In fact, I've often said that I should have spent that money on a house cleaner that I would have done better if somebody had just come and cleaned my house for me rather than spending all this money on therapy. So I had some kind of, of issue um, and that I was trying to get help for. And, and so I've been like self-diagnosed, you know, with all kinds of stuff and like ridiculousness. And in the same time, you know, I'm studying psychology, but this started well before. I mean, I, I think that I was having issues like when I was like 12, uh, <clears throat> I now I now sometimes call it the human condition. Don't call it like mental health disorders. I call it the human condition because I think think that a lot of us suffer in this life. And the the human condition as in being that and we we don't know that it's this but we have a hard time minding our thoughts and our thoughts are just running rampant in our brain thoughts of catastrophe like thoughts of you know the sky is falling all the time and it's just sort of this wave in consciousness on the planet of thought that sort of lends itself to this and then and then we like talk to each other because we think it helps so we talk to each other about that thing that's done gone wrong um (laughs) and and so after many years of like really really suffering I decided that I wanted to try medication I had not done I had been prescribed medication when I was in my early 20s. And I I didn't take it. I'm notorious for this. But but I I had quit taking it. Almost as soon as I got it, I quit taking it. Um, But so it was a very, very short run of, of, I think it was Paxil. And my mother was very concerned about me on this Paxil because there were indications of people who had actually ousted themselves, actually killed themselves while on the medication. And sometimes I've had this theory about that. (laughs) Well, I have this theory. This is my theory. I believe that there's a certain amount of people who will will unalive themselves. Just I I just think that there's a certain amount of people that will do that. And and then on top of it, sometimes I think that that taking a, a psychotropic medication 
allows a a person to get their thoughts organized to enough to actually unalive themselves because when they're not taking the medication they they are so in chaos that they can't they they cannot necessarily formulate a plan where being on this the medication allows them to be on a, to to create a plan um but also i think that sometimes these medications drive us actually crazy cuz like if you look at the case of um robin williams in particular he he was on um i can't think of the name right now but it's a um an antipsychotic medication and 7 days later he was gone and so sometimes the the medication just something about it i don't know it's like more people who oust themselves are on something like whether it be alcohol they go and they drink a whole bunch of alcohol and then they have liquid courage to to but <clears throat> how did i get on this subject <laughs> of of ousting and it's horrible it's horrible i'm i don't mean to make light of it um but, oh, that's because my mother was very concerned about me being on Paxil because she was afraid that I might actually unalive myself. Um, and I think that my, my counselor at the time actually did, and I must have been scary because he did, he went behind my back and talked to my mother and basically said, you need to be careful, you know, remove all of the... <laughs> any blunt objects and <laughs> make sure you remove the ropes out of the house, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking I was going to do. Um, but maybe I was kind of scary because I, I wasn't doing so hot, frankly. My, um, I'd gone through a really bad breakup and then my dad passed away and I just spiraled, as you can imagine. So yeah, I wasn't doing so hot. Uh, anyway, so then, you know, just throughout my life, I just, this is just something that I like, like when I had my first child, my first child and my second child, when I gave birth to these children, I had postpartum so badly that I clearly should have been on. I, sh I, I don't know how I survived. I, I'm being real about this. I mean, I, I, I remember with my daughter, I'd considered like just throwing myself in front of a truck. I mean, I was just, um, but I was a highly sensitive person. I've always been a highly sensitive person, um, just by nature. I'm, I'm, and I think also it was a, it was a stress response also like a trauma response that I learned at a very young age that I had to be paying attention I was on heightened alert a lot. I don't want to get into my childhood. Um, but uh, I always like to say, you know, I was a sensitive person, but I think it was, it may have been by nature, but also by nurture. I, I had to be. And so, and so I get, I, I have, and then, so I didn't decide to go on medication until my late, thir later 30s. 
<clears throat> and I was in a marriage and I, I really wanted that marriage to succeed. I really did. And and I went on this medication and I got to tell you, um, it changed my life. The most successful full medication that I was ever on was Paxil. I don't even know. I think they still sell it. Um, it was a very effective medication for me. And I, I did appear to kind of get better. I was better when I was on this medication. I, along the way, you know, I'm neglecting to tell you all, I, I had developed, but I think it really started, this started actually in my 20s, my early 20s where they were trying to figure out what was going on with me because I was having these episodes. And as time has gone on, they've tried to say that it is panic. So I have I have been diagnosed. If I have any diagnoses, they are generalized anxiety disorder with panic. And I was known to... One time I actually did lose consciousness. Uh, and I remember it. I remember my stepdaughter at the time looked at me and asked me if I was okay. It was only for a few seconds, but it, it was enough for me to, I need to go on a medication. I, I need some help. <clears throat> and then I was on that medication for... I don't know how many years. I really don't. It five, six, seven years, and I'm not sure how long you're supposed to be on antidepressants. Uh, I, according to like the things I've learned in the last two weeks, you know, it does. It depends. Like somebody with a a chronic, you know, mine appeared to not necessarily be fully situational. Uh. It seemed like a generalized anxiety disorder, and my body was, you know, seemingly overreacting to everything. Um, and this medication was incredibly effective. <clears throat> and then at some point, I just, I just, I didn't want to be on it all, the rest of my life. I just didn't. And, um, and then this could, this could be construed as a pathology is that, you know, I just got this impression that I needed to get off of it. And so I did. I, this time I was successful. I had tried other times. I tried cold turkey, didn't work. I tried weaning myself off for a period of time, didn't work. This time I took nine months, nine months to wean me off of this medication and I cannot describe how challenging it was to do this and I would not recommend this to anyone especially without help but I knew that it was pointless for me to even ask for help because I knew that my doctor would tell me you need to stay on this I mean, the pharmacist was like, you probably need to be on this for the rest of your life. And that was not the answer that I wanted to hear. <clears throat> so I so I got myself off of it. And, and there were just practices that, that I had 
put in play that were really successful for me. And I have to tell you, the biggest one <laughs> is is like that I learned from Abraham Hicks, actually. I learned from Abraham Hicks that that to write down positive aspects about life. Okay, this as opposed to a gratitude journal. I know that this is a very unpopular opinion that I have to say about this, but I have a really hard time with the word gratitude. Um, it feels like a should word to me, that I should have more gratitude. It feels like, it feels like a, 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 a rule. It feels like a, a burden. I, I don't know. I have a really hard time with the word. And, and, you know, and it's so interesting because I had given one of my clients a small journal that, and I asked her to write, try to write down 10 things every day that she liked about life. I didn't say write down 10 things you were grateful for on purpose. When I came back the next week, I asked her how that went. And she said, I'm sorry, I couldn't think of 10 things that I was grateful for. And I said, I said, that's not what I asked you to do. So she even interpreted it as a gratitude journal. And it's not a gratitude journal. It is a journal where you're just simply writing things that you like about life. And this was an incredible uh, strategy for me personally. So I didn't have to conjure anything up. I could look around my, my space and find 10 things I liked. I like bunnies. I like mobiles. I like dressers. I like plants. I like, I mean, I could easily come up with 10, I like candles. I like, you know, easy, easy peasy to come up with 10 things I liked just about life. And I would take this small journal. So I had very, very small journals and I would take them everywhere. And, and so I would be, I remember being at the pediatrician's office and I was really stressed out about something. I don't remember what it was, but I remember pulling out my journal and just writing positive things that I liked about life. <clears throat> and what I found was that, and I, and I also had this, this general understanding that I had to believe that it was going to get better. I had to hold on to the belief, even though it wasn't better yet. I had to believe that it was going to get better. I, I think that I got this from Abraham Hicks, if I, but I don't remember verbatim the moment that that happened that I heard that. I don't remember like this aha moment that, you know, a lot of times I'm told things and I don't really get it till I get it. <clears throat> but anyway, so that was an effective strategy for me, but I did, I, I got, so I get through it. I get off this medication and I get through it. And it was, it was tough and there was no one to talk to because people were just in their camps about it and, you know, it was what it was. But so I, I go about life unmedicated. 
but I still have the underlying issue of a disorder where my body has this habit of just taking over. I mean, I still have panic attacks. I do. I have these panic attacks where I'm, where I'm, I was sitting with a client not that long ago. And then all of a sudden I'm like losing consciousness, you know, and I have to just save face and act like nothing's happening. Um, I'm in trainings. I'm, I'm, you know, I, so I, I live with a, a situation in my body where my body is, has this habit of taking over. So about four years ago, my life, my life just goes off the rails. I mean, it really does. I, I had gone through a breakup that I don't really want to talk about so much, but, and I, I, my, I didn't have a job and I, I was really scared and I'm, I, and then I have this complete life-changing event. I'm talking life-changing event. I, I, I go to bed, I wake up and I'm, I'm just changed and I can't explain it. I, there's, there's no, like, I don't know. It was like an enlightenment, uh, awakening, uh, I don't know. And I just started to get these impressions. But the biggest thing that happened uh, along with that were just these really weird events that I, that would happen. Just weird stuff, like all the time was just happening. And it was it's so weird because I was, I was, I was like living in this like new paradigm. I was living in this new, I guess, reality. I like some people may call it jumping timelines or jumping dimensions, or I don't know. I was just seeing everything differently. It was like, I had been wearing red glasses and then now I'm wearing blue glasses you know, and at the same time, I'm dealing with these really heavy emotions of loss. And, and so these, these two things appeared to happen all at the same time. And I, I kind of knew that, that I, I was really on the edge. I knew that. I knew in some ways that I was behaving on the edge and that I was on the edge and I and I and I sort of needed the people around me to trust me. I needed them to trust me that that I knew this was weird and I knew I was behaving differently and I knew kind of what it looked like but I also knew that it was not what any of us thought it was, but I couldn't even tell you what it was even now. 
And, and so it was kind of this fine line, you know, and so I was, you know, over the years, I just tried to figure it out. And I'm like, so yesterday, I'm studying these mental health disorders. And I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting there. And it's like, it it is like this, this, I was having symptoms of, of like a number of different mental health disorders, not even just one. I mean, it was just like, comorbidity. I love that word comorbidity. It's very depressing. Um, where it just looked like it, it was like pervasive, these symptoms that I was having. Now, if, if it was all just completely in my head and not did not have any outside effect, that would be one thing, but it was having an effect outside of myself. And I have mounds of evidence to prove it like so much evidence that I can prove the reason this happened and this happened and this happened and it happened like this and this and this. And I thought this and then this happened. I thought this and this happened. I was having this conversation and then that happened, you know, and then like some people try to say, oh, well, it's your cell phone. Well, it wasn't my cell phone because stuff was happening outside of my cell phone. That still happens to this day, you know, where I'm driving along and I look over and there's some kind of symbol that has some kind of something meaningful to me. It was kind of like this steady stream of, of what I call like love notes from God, like, like little clues that, that they were so, so like frequent and so, on point that there is no way that they were coincidences. They are what people would call coincidences, but I knew they weren't coincidences. Like, you know, this is just one teeny little example, you know, and and the reason why I'm bringing it is because I was talking to the biggest skeptic of my life. So I was, I was walking downtown with a friend of mine and I'm, I'm telling her the story about, about how, like a few days before I was, I was sitting and I was watching the matrix. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching the matrix and all of a sudden I hear this excruciatingly horrible sound. Like it almost sounded as if somebody had been run over, but, um, and then I don't really hear anything. So I'm thinking, okay, well it's okay. And then I hear people talking. So I have to get up and look, I go and I look outside my window and my, these people are all standing by my son's car. My son had been picked up to go to soccer, to go play soccer. And so I knew my son, like, well, that's peculiar. So I like go running down and I go out and I said, what are you all, you know, what's going on? And, and he said, oh, well, is this, do, you know, do you know who owns this car? And I said, yeah, it's my son's car. And what had happened was an RV had come by and you know, those steps that you take to get into the RV that was pointing, was out. It had not gone into the door. You know, usually they, they fold up. Well, this one had not folded up properly and it basically scrunched the front left part of my son's car. So I'm telling my friend this story and I'm like, 
you know, and then this happened and this happened and this happened. And I said, and then it was a, it was a RV that looked just like, and damned if that RV didn't drive by just then. Like right, right there, like downtown, like right then I'm talking about the story and damned if it doesn't drive by the exact RV that scrunched my son's car. And then she wants to say it's a coincidence. This is a small town is what she said. This is the kind of stuff she told me all the time, basically invalidating my, my experience. Your experience means nothing because I know more about your experience than you do. <laughs> This was so frustrating to me with her. I loved her very much, but I just couldn't, like, I never was able to win that girl over. She was a, a disbeliever in my experience. <clears throat> and so, and so, and I continued to have these, but that summer... What ended up happening was it was like it was like this dial was turned because things had been happening even before that that were weird. I mean, I started to have these really weird experiences even before this where I was like, okay, this is like I don't even know what to say about this. Like this is bizarre and I I started to get a little nervous because I didn't know what was happening to me. And that that started in like 2016. And then 2017, it was ramping up. But 2018, it was like they dialed it up. And I just, it was nuts. <clears throat> and so this is, my, this is my fascination with that guy, David Icke. So David Icke had a very similar experience. And he came back, he, ha he has this massive experience that was extremely similar to mine, but they were years apart. He had this, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, and I had it four years ago. Um, but he, he's, a, he's from Great Britain, and I'm not sure, I don't know his details, to be honest, but I think he was a soccer player, and he... And he came down with a debilitating um, health condition. But so he was a, a commentator. I think he was like a sports commentator or maybe he was on the news. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember his whole story. But then he has this event happen and they're interviewing him and he gets laughed off the stage. People treated him really badly for years. And I totally understand that because when this thing went down for me, I was treated really badly by the people in my community. It was as if nobody, like, nobody asked me if I was okay. It was as if they didn't care. Like, they just didn't care. When I tried to share my story, people just, like, they didn't care. They didn't care about my story. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't appear. It's just that I was nuts. She's crazy. She's lost her mind. 
So if you can't define it, it has to be crazy. It's not necessarily definable. And I don't even know if David Icke, like maybe he has a definition for what, how this thing went down with him now. I don't know. Um, but he's lived with this for many years. And, and it's as if when this thing happens, it never goes away. It never goes away. It's like, um, it is, it is a change and you never go back. <clears throat> so yesterday I'm studying these, these mental health disorders and I'm seeing my spectrum of symptoms, you know, are, are in, in this, um, the DSM five and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling really badly because I, even at the time, so at the time in 2018, that summer, I would go down the list. Okay. I, I thought maybe I have a brain tumor and I don't know it. I thought maybe I'm dead and I don't know it. Maybe, um, had, I had about five, but one of them was I've completely lost my mind. I've thought about, so I thought I was dead. I thought I was in a coma. I thought I had a brain tumor. I thought I was, I thought I had completely lost my mind or I thought it was a God thing. And, and because I had to, I, I, I was enough in touch with with seeming reality that I, I knew that there was something massively up. I mean, something massively was up. <clears throat> and I was also having this pretty major trauma response that my body, I just really lost, like, I I was just... I had a trauma response and I was in post-traumatic stress really badly and having a lot of flashbacks and, and, and it's possible that I had more than one thing happening. This is something that I've come up with like yesterday is that maybe I did have a psychotic break, but it was in conjunction with an, an enlightenment experience. And I'm going to just use the word enlightenment because I know more about enlightenment than I do about awakening or whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. Um, and so, <clears throat> and so if this makes any sense, I, I'm, I'm thinking that there was like a psychosis and I had an enlightenment experience that I have to tell you, on this side of it, this enlightenment experience is sort of like, you know, and I, and so I question myself all the time. So maybe I'm not enlightened. And I don't know that there is like this, this you're not enlightened, and then now you're enlightened. All I know is that I had a change, a dramatic change in perception dramatic. It wasn't like a little change. It was a lot change in perception. And I, 
and I, I knew things. I had this knowingness about things, but also this knowing that I didn't know. It's so bizarre. I, I, I just, um, but I had this, this preconceived notion about enlightenment itself that I feel like is a barrier, at least to a person like me, that, that when, when you reach enlightenment, that you, you cease to have any need, you cease to have any, you are just blissfully happy all the time. And that's not how it went down for me. I wasn't blissfully happy all the time. It was a knowingness that I I had to learn how to live in this very, very different um, state of being and that I had to learn how to clean up my inner dialogue quick because I knew that I created my reality. You can say that. You can actually say that and you can hear that forever. But when you actually learn about it and understand it, like the way that I did, and and, and this was just my experience, was that it was like this ominous task. Like, oh crap, that means that I am responsible I am responsible. So when something, it's not, it's, things are not happening t- to me. I'm not a victim. I'm responsible for what happens to me. And so I, I gotta, I gotta figure this out fast in how to, how to stay on the positive. To just stay on the positive. And so, so I was found to myself in the beginning, it was about 50-50. So it was like 50% that I was living in heaven. I was like living in this mental heavenly state, like so connected to God. I mean, I was so connected. I'd never been so connected in this knowingness that, there, that God is everything and every cell of my being so I'm like, like so connected to God, like in this, like I can bask in this love, like this incredible love. And then the other half is like, I'm in hell, the separation from that. And, and, I, and I, I guess I had some understanding that the separation was coming from me, not from it. That the stream of love from God is like, the sun. It is steady. And we are the ones that are blocking it off. For various reasons. But I think the biggest reason has to do with our beliefs. So our core beliefs are what, you know, and if you really look around and you really listen. um, So I spent a, a deal, a bit of time on TikTok. I really like that app. I do. I, I admit it. I get a lot of information. I think it's it's interesting. But I, I see I see these like trends, and I and I already talked about this one because it's been it's been pervasive on my for you page, um, where the this young man ask about the women who 
who will make him dinner and back rubs for a hardworking man. And the women just pounced on him. Just, I mean, well, we'll, you know, I will, you know, be doing that when I don't have to worry about my safety around you. When I, you know, blah, 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 and this whole laundry list of grievances that she has with the male gender. <clears throat> and so this is a rampant um, core belief with women because there's like all these women who were, who were duetting. This is this thing that we do on TikTok. Um, we're duetting this one woman responding to this guy and we're agreeing with her. So there's this whole bandwagon of thought that basically men are scary. Men are scary. Men are to be feared. You know, and and so when we hear this over and over and over, it becomes a core belief. We start to like believe that at a core level. And so I feel very fortunate that these things kind of rub me like incorrectly like I don't I don't like I don't believe that that all men are to be feared I can't say that I feel perfectly safe all the time around men um I'm pretty discerning I can kind of feel the energy but I think a lot of men are really great I really do. I think they're wonderful. And so that's just one of the many core beliefs, you know, like, like the Republicans have the core belief that all liberals are like evil. And then, and then liberals think that anybody who likes Trump is a stupid person. Like, I mean, these dramatic, uh, judgments about, each other as these core beliefs. And then we kind of divide each other, divide ourselves, and we join these clubs of beliefs, (laughs) whether it be churches or social institutions, you know, political parties, all on the basis of these core beliefs and we we want to like align with people that represent us right like we're all in the same pudding you know which is I guess part of the reason why I'm you know because I don't really subscribe to any of it like really I mean I guess some things resonate more with me than other things but um So, and so I, 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 I wonder about this idea of, of, of mental illness. And this is another thing that I, that I talked about in my YouTube yesterday. And that was that when this thing went down for me and it appeared to be a mental illness, I was judged very harshly. Now, if I, if I had had 
appendicitis, which I did and had my appendix removed, there was no judgment on that. But there is huge judgment for a mental health diagnosis or episode. There's just a stigma to that. There just is. And people are mean. They were mean, like including my family members. It was rough. It was really hard. And so, and so, so what if I had, you know, a psychotic break and I wasn't taking any drugs? I mean, that was another thing. I think my family thought, you know, that something was going on with me and it wasn't. I wasn't taking drugs. I mean, like, I'm like, come on, you guys. Not any drugs. I wasn't taking anything. I wasn't smoking any pot. I don't even think I was drinking alcohol at the time. Honestly, I wasn't taking anything. And so, so no, I wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't any of that. Yeah, I had a massively traumatic event in my life <laughs> that I think that I will save for another podcast because I, I really, I've given you all bits and pieces of that. And I, I think that I would like to, like, but I'm not sure exactly how, you know, and I'm not sure how I would, would have handled, you know, would have handled a friend of mine in the state that I was in. I'm not sure, but I, I think that I would have handled it with curiosity because I tend to be the kind of person who thinks outside of the box. You know, I, I think I would be curious. I'd be like, okay, tell me more about that. What's going on? And especially if my friend had like all of this, like if they could, they were showing me things, I'd be like, God, that's so weird. I mean, that's weird. I wouldn't just dismiss them like they're a nutcase. So yesterday when I was sitting there and I was, I was having my, oh, this is what I think is like really pertinent is that I had to, as a scientist, which I consider myself, I had to admit that I might have been completely nuts and had a a complete psychotic break and, and that I was having an episode of mental illness. I had to I had to consider that. And so yesterday I I'm reading these mental health dis- diagnoses and I'm going, well, man alive, I I I had this, I had this, I had this. I mean like the spectrum that went across disorder lines and and I and then I, I just sort of started to tank. And and see, and that's sad in and of itself. It's sad that I would tank because I had an episode, a mental health crisis. And, and what is so wrong with that? 
What is, what is actually intrinsically wrong with that? But as I was sitting there, I just decided to love myself. I said, okay, maybe I had a mental health crisis. Maybe I did. So what? So what? I'm just going to love myself. I loved myself then. I love myself now. I like my personality. And so I started to write positive things about myself on the page. Instead of like my psychotic symptoms, I started to write positive aspects about myself. You know, and I actually had the thought, I wondered if people who listen to my content think that I have a mental illness. It made me wonder that, like, are they listening to me as a project instead of as a fellow scientist trying to figure this thing out from my perspective and their perspective and put perspectives together? How does this relate to me? Like, what if somebody's looking at me as a patient? And I, it, that was really upsetting to me. Um, because I don't, the ailment is just overcoming the obstacles of life. Of, of, whatever this is that we're doing here, which I believe is just to experience life. And so I had this experience, that experience, and then I, yesterday I was able to overcome and I felt really great. <laughs> I did. I felt really great. I was, I was incredibly happy. <laughs> that I was able to overcome that and not become excessively sad. But anyway, I just feel like like that this is about enough for now. <laughs> I so appreciate you listening. And I will be back with other ideas. And that's a wrap.